Good to go. Back into the inferno. That's going to be the title of today's class. So in the previous classes, we learned about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these were three brave Jewish boys who were thrown into a fiery furnace, ready to pay for their love and loyalty, their dedication to Hashem. They were ready to pay with their lives. But their devotion, in the end, brought forth a great miracle. And Hananiah, Beishol, Azariah emerged unscathed from the inferno. And in the previous Gemara, we talked about Daniel, the mystery prophet. Where was he when all of that was happening? Now the Gemara takes us back into the inferno. We're going to hear about perverts, and prophets, I should say false prophets, because <laughs> those are the same people. Perverted false prophets, and we'll hear about a Kohen Gadol. The false prophets get roasted, and the Kohen Gadol, well, he just gets singed. Let's take it away. The Gemara, Daftzad the Gimel, Ahmed Aleph, page 93 of Mesechet Sanhedrin, side A. The Gemara now talks about the story of the false prophets who were thrown into that same fiery furnace by that same evil emperor, Nebuchadnezzar. In the prophecies of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 21 and 22, there's documentation of a scroll, a Jeremiah. <laughs> A scroll of Yirmiyahu prophecy that was sent off from Yerushalayim to the Jewish people who were already in exile in Babylon. And this is what the scroll said. So says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, this message is directed towards El Achov ben Koiloyo, and it's directed towards Tzidkiyo ben Maaseyo. These were people who presented themselves as prophets. So these people, Hanivim Lochem Bishmi, who prophesies to you in my name, says God, La Shoker. Falsely v'goymer. So there's a message. Yirmiyo tells the Jewish people that these false prophets will not be faring well. And then it says, in the prophecy that was sent, it says, you will see, I will give them over into the hands of the Vuchadnezzar, and he will smite them before your very eyes. And then after it says, they will become the source from which you will extract curse 
or curses. For the rest of the Judean exile that is currently in Babylon. Lamer, that is to say, Yesimcha Hashem, when you'll want to curse somebody, you'll say, May God place you. Just like we say with regard to the sons of Yosef, that when the Jewish people will want to bless their children, Father Jacob Yaakov Avinu says that they will bless you. That's, what, that's the blessing we'll confer upon our children. That even children who grow up far away from the house of their grandparents, children who are separated from their ancestry, or so it would seem, raised in a foreign land, planted in foreign soil, and yet remain loyal to Hashem and His Torah, and the realities, the external influence made no difference. That, that my friends, is the greatest blessing. But the curse shows up here now in the book of Yirmiyo, that when the exiles of Babylon would want to curse somebody, they would say, may you be like Achav and Sidkiyo. Asher kolom melech whom the king of Babylon roasted in fire. Now the Gemara says, that's an interesting expression. Asher kolom, roasted in fire. And so the Gemara is medayik. Asher sarfam or sarafam loinemar. It doesn't say who were burnt, but rather it says who were roasted. This is not roast beef. This is not a steak over here. We're talking about a person who was murdered in a horrific way. So why wouldn't we just say it as it is? Burned by Nebuchadnezzar. Why use that unusual expression of roasted? Elo, asher kolam. What is the meaning asher kolam? Omer Rabbi Yechanan, the elder sage of, the Yerush- of Yerushalayim, said, Mishum Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi. In the name of the famous Rashbi, Malamed, this teaches us, Sha'osoin Kikiloyois, that they became like roasted grain. Now, there's numerous interpretations of what exactly this means, that they were roasted like grain. Rashi says, Kiloyois, Shibolim, granola that gets roasted in fire. So when the grain is first harvested, especially if it's harvested before the hot summer arrives, it's moist. It's not parched kernels. It's not kernels that can be easily ground into wheat. So it's moist granola. And the moist granola, in order for us to be able to extract wheat from it, it has to be roasted over fire, not burnt. Because if you burn them, they'll have nothing left. The husks are roasted so that the flour inside dries so that later when it's milled, the husks crack open and the flour pours out. So Rashi says, like shibalim hamuhuvavin, that were only burned on the outside, roasted, singed it sounds almost like, but more like roasted on the outside, but the inside is not burnt. So what is the meaning of this? The Maharsha says that there is a sharp distinction being drawn between the punishment in Torah, which is called Sreifa, and the punishment that Nebuchadnezzar meted out 
to these false prophets, although Nebuchadnezzar was essentially acting here as an agent of God. Don't get me wrong. This man was no saint. He was a big sinner. In fact, he was a butcher, a mass murderer, an evil man. But sometimes Hashem uses one evil person to destroy another. These individuals made a lot of trouble for the Jewish people. Achav and Sidkiyahu were much more popular than Jeremiah. Yirmiyahu's own grandson threw him into prison. Yirmiyahu was demonized by the people. They did not want to hear his message. His message was one of doom and gloom. And guess what? Yirmiyahu himself didn't want to broadcast his message. In fact, in the first prophecy to Yirmiyahu, to Jeremiah, God says to him, I knew you before you knew yourself. And you really don't have a choice here, young man. You are going to be my messenger. And you are going to bring the truth, the uncomfortable, painful truth to the people of Israel in the hope that they will hear your words and return. Unfortunately, Yemyo was beset by challenges and problems, not the least of which were a number of false prophets who peddled false hopes, who told the people positivity wins the day. Let's be upbeat. There's no reason to be down on yourselves. There's no reason to demand change of yourself and think that you have to improve yourself. Life is great. Enjoy life. God loves you. Everything's fine. But it wasn't fine. And the people had become sordid and immoral and they needed to be brought home to Hashem. And poor Yemiyo Nebuch, this prophet was racked with pain from inside, from out. He would, he would preach, he would rail, he would talk, but it seemed as if everything he said fell on deaf ears. So Yirmiyahu sends a message to these monsters, you are going to be taken care of. Nebuchadnezzar himself is going to mete out punishment. But the punishment that Nebuchadnezzar meted out, although he was not, per se, a shliach, an agent, an emissary, in the typical sense, as we say, the agent, the emissary, is like an extension of the sender, the one who sends, Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar did what he must do because he was compelled to by a higher force. It doesn't make him a tzaddik. And so there's the sreifa, there's the burning of, of, of these people by Nebuchadnezzar, and then there's the actual punishment of sreifa. And the marshal says that we're emphasizing it's a very different kind of punishment. The punishment of sreifa, which is one of the four capital punishments that's vested in the hands of the Jewish ecclesiastical court known as the Sanhedrin, so that is achieved by pouring boiling lead down somebody's throat. Instantaneous death. The insides are literally burnt out. The whole inside of the person is vaporized momentarily. It's kind of like an electric shock, an electric chair, but much, much, much more intense, and nobody survived Srefa, whereas there are even people who survived the electric chair. So here, the fire was on the outside, not on the inside. That's how the Masha puts it. However, I must tell you that not everybody agrees with the Masha. In fact, there are some who see value, a, dim a diminishment, if you will, a minimizing of the intensity of this punishment, and others who see quite the contrary. In the Sefer Teres Chaim, 
it says that the notion of kolom, roasted, indicates that they were not entirely burnt. And you will ask, why not? Why were they deserving of mercy or miracles? Teres Chaim says they weren't. But as we'll soon hear, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, there was another man thrown in with them. And he was a profoundly righteous individual. His name was Yehoshua, and he was the Kohen Gadol. And Yehoshua Kohen Gadol is not a bad man. In fact, he's a holy man. And he is saved. And because of his merit, they were somewhat saved. They were somewhat shielded. They were not saved per se, but their corporeal reality was not entirely consumed and vaporized by the fire. The Ben Yehiyada, the Ben Ishchai on the other hand, argues the other way around. He says this was a far worse punishment. He says they were not burnt in a moment. They did not turn into ashes. This is something Nebuchadnezzar tortured them and tormented them. He had them burn, but they burned to death slowly. And he says he threw them into the fiery furnace, but he left iron chains shackled to their bodies and they were pulled out of the fire and lowered back into the fire and pulled out of the fire. And why would Hashem do that? So the Ben Yehiyada suggests that the reason is that if they would be thrown into the fiery furnace, it would not be clear as to their identity. And people might not know how they were killed or that even that they were killed. And so Hashem wanted everybody to know that these false prophets who peddled false hope, who in a, in a large way impeded the path of Yermio, which is a path to righteousness and repentance, that these people ever should be known widely what exactly happened. And as he writes, Everybody would see the punishment meted out to false prophets. And people would stop lying in Hashem's name and being populists. But instead, speaking the truth to power and sticking with the integrity of Torah rather than trying to win an election or say things that people wanted to hear. So the Gemara now, that's statement. That's back into the inferno. Hananya, Mishal, Vazaya, they made it out. These guys were thrown back into that same inferno. They did not emerge unscathed. They emerged dead. The Gemara now tells us what's the story here. Why is it, or how is it, that Nebuchadnezzar actually volunteered to be God's agent to take care of a false prophet? Why would he even care about that? So the Gemara now introduces us to these twisted individuals. They were not only extremely charismatic, they were not only tremendously insolent in that they assumed the mantle of prophecy and portrayed themselves as messengers of God, they were also perverts, big time, sexual deviants. And here's how it goes. The Gemara gives us now the background is to, as to who these people were and why they were punished. In that same chapter, in verse 23, the prophet reads, Ya'an asher asu nivola Yisrael, Because they did abominable things in Israel. They committed adultery with the wives of their peers. So these false prophets were also pervert prophets. And they used their image of, prophets, of, of prophecies or prophets in order 
to do as they pleased and have their way with other women. So the sensual, sexual deviants, perverts, and they were abusers. They abused women. How do we know all this? Who were their victims? So the Gemara says like this. My Avud. What happened? What was the story? What did these false prophets do? How did Nebuchadnezzar catch on to them? The Gemara says, These guys like, had an enormous amount of self-confidence. They went to the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to assume as a very beautiful girl or very licentious or maybe both. So Ahav goes to her. Omar Law, he tells this princess, Koy Omar Hashem. This is what God said. Hashimoi el Now, the word Hashimoi, Rashi says, is like Hatashmishi. Uh, you should uh, hook up with with Tzidkiyo, with Tzidkiyo. So this is, um, he's propositioning her. He's suggesting to her that she should get into bed with Tzidkiyo. Tzidkiyo, the pervert, Omar, he came and said, Koy Omar Hashem, Hashmoi, Al Achav. He's propositioning her to sleep with Achav. And I guess this way, each one expected to sleep with the princess. Because each one came as a prophet telling her to sleep with the other one. Didn't sound good to say, God said you should sleep with me. So instead, you said, God said sleep with somebody else. And in this way, they both intended to have their way. So the Gemara says, this young lady, licentious as she may or may not have been, was nobody's fool. And she has these prophets coming over her and telling her all this crazy stuff. So she went, Azla, she went and told her dad. Went to the king. She said, he wouldn't believe it. This, this prophet guy came and told me that God wants me to sleep with such and such a guy. Omar Law, Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't seem to have a problem necessarily with licentiousness, but he does have a problem with what's going on here, and he doesn't like things being done in the name of God, and feels that he's being taken advantage of and exploited, and probably not very pleased this is being done to his daughter. Omar Allah, he tells her, hmm, this does not sound right. Their God, the God they worship, he detests the notion of licentiousness. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know about this, says Nebuchadnezzar. When they come back, and he knew they'd be back, such is the nature of the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, they don't give up. He says, when these, when these come back, send them to me. <laughs> okay. So now they're set up. And of course, when they did come to her. So what did she do? She sent them straight to her dad. He said, Nebuchadnezzar says to these guys, Tell me, man who told you to do to do this? Who told you to speak like this to my daughter? So what did they say? They said, HaKadosh Baruch God, God said we should do this. It's God. It's the will of God. They both said it together. 
Clearly, they were in cahoots together. Shavu Chadnetzer says, really? Really? These three brave Jewish boys who emerged unscathed from an inferno, he says, Sheltinu, uh, I asked them if such a thing is permissible. Now, whether or not he asked them, and I don't know, he may have just assumed that, that would be the case. We don't know, but it sounds good either way. They certainly would have said that. So they said to him, let's talk about brazenness. They said to him, Zodeh prophets, we're also prophets. Can, can help you. In other words, To him, to them, he didn't say it. And to us, he did say it. So they stick a better alibi, stick a better story. Amar lohu, Nebuchadnezzar says, hmm, you're telling me that God told you that my daughter should sleep with you guys. Hmm. Tell you what. I need to check you out. I need to put you through the litmus test to see if you're actually a prophet, that I can believe you that God said this. And how will I test you? Where is your prophet guider test, tester? He says, simple. Kihechi, in the same way, divdaktinhu lechananya mishovazarya. In the same way, I checked out those three guys, and I know they're prophets now because they emerged from a fiery inferno unscathed. I will have you thrown into the fiery furnace, and we'll see if that happens. Amrulay, these guys are so wily. They said, look, inun tlosahava. Those were three. Va'anan train were only two. As if to say, when you have three righteous people together, oh, amazing things can happen. But we only have two righteous people together. The only reason they were saved from the fire was because we're all three of them together. So, so we're only two. We're, we're prophets. I mean, we could be saved. We're telling you God told us to do this. But we're only two of us. So that's not really a fair test. Nebuchadnezzar is evil, but he is not stupid. Nobody's fool. Amar Lahu, he said, aha, so it's the numbers you need, eh? No problem. He said, man Choose me somebody. <laughs> Choose a third partner. I'll throw all three of you into the fire. I mean, this guy's a maniac. He's clearly evil. He just throws people in fire. So what did these horrible, twisted perverts do. So he said, Amru, Yeshua ken Godel. They said, great. We'd like to have the high priest thrown in with us. Essentially condemning the high priest to murder. Now why did they choose, why did they choose Yeshua ken Godel? Why did they say that? So Savri Lacey, Yeshua, the Nafesh Chusi, they figured they thought to themselves, let's bring Yehoshua, who has much merit, is a very meritorious, holy individual, and Zechusei, his merit, umagona alon, Yeshua will come, and in his merit will be spared. So they believe in God. This is, this is a terrible people. They believed in God. They believed in miracles. They believed in holy people. They knew they were not holy. They were perverts. They were, they were the worst philanderers 
adulterers, and yet they were prepared to have Yehoshua. They believed so strongly in God, so they figured we can be thrown in the fire as long as Yehoshua is with us. So why did they choose Yehoshua? Why didn't they choose Daniel? Especially because you remember the Gemara said before that God sent Daniel away. He sent Daniel away because people would say the miracle happened because of Daniel. They wouldn't say it's God's miracle. They say it's Daniel's miracle. And if these individuals wanted to be saved, why wouldn't they choose the securest root of all? Ask for Daniel. It's a good question. The question is asked. The Ben Yehiyada answers it like this. He says, Yehoshua Kohen Gadol was somebody they felt more sure they could rely on because, number one, he had experienced things like this on an annual basis. We know that when Nadav and Aviyu brought incense, the children of Aaron brought incense that was unauthorized, they were consumed by a fire. So incense, it's unauthorized, it doesn't pan out well. We also know that when, if, a, if and when a Kohen Gadol, and this happened copiously in the second Beit HaMikdash, if he wasn't worthy and he brought incense on Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies, he ended up like Nadav and Avil. He wouldn't come out alive. In fact, in the second temple, it became such a problem that Kohanim Gdolim would enter into the Holy of Holies with a rope around their leg knowing full well they might be pulled out. So here they figured Yehoshua enters into this proverbial inferno on an annual basis, and he emerges unscathed. And if so, let's bring him from Jerusalem, because these were the earlier exiles. The Beit HaMikdash had not yet been destroyed. Let's bring him from Jerusalem. And the same man who enters the Holy of Holies and emerges unscathed, the same way it'll work for us will be saved. Furthermore, he says, they knew that Daniel was an extraordinarily holy person. Daniel is one of the people, the Gemara gives an example of who the Mashiach will be. So they said, Daniel is such a tzaddik that he can actually have a precision-driven laser miracle where they'd be thrown in the fire together and Daniel would be extracted and saved and they'd go. But they figured Yehoshua is not a Daniel. He's not going to bring about laser-driven precision salvation. But he'll have an aura. So as such, he'll have an aura. We'll be saved and that aura. will be, so to speak, will be rolled into that aura, rolled into that energy, and we too will be saved. So that's, anyway, that's why they chose to have, to have Yehoshua thrown in with them. Well, the Gemara says that... Nebuchadnezzar did not bat an eyelash. It's exactly what he did. Achis Yuhu. They brought him down from Yerushalayim. He was brought to Nebuchadnezzar's capital where that famous inferno was raging. Vishadinhu. And all three of them were hurled into the fiery furnace. 
The Gemara says, Inhu iklu. They were roasted. Yehoshua Kohen Godol. Icharuchi manei. The high priest had his clothes singed. But he himself did not burn. And he emerged alive. So the Gemara now wants to understand what happened here. But before we get to understanding what happened, or how it happened, let's talk about what actually takes place and where we know it's from. Shanamar, we know this because it says in the Pasuk in Zechariah, Vayareini es Yehoshua ko hakohen agadol. The prophet Zechariah is speaking about the return to Zion, the restoration of the Beis Hamikdash, and the reinstallation of its high priest, an old man named Yehoshua. And in this prophetic image, which is being narrated by an angel, there's Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, Oymed Lifnei Malach Hashem. He stands before an angel, and the Satan is on his right, seeking to serve as an obstacle to impede and thwart his efforts. Viksivin, it says after, Vayoymer Hashem ala Satan. God said to the Satan, Yiger Hashem b'cho. May God, so to speak, strike at you. As the Pasuk goes. And the Pasuk finishes off. This is the Haftorah Pasha's Ba'aleischa. He said, This is but a firebrand snatched from the flames. So if it's a firebrand, it's an ember snatched from the flames. Because he's called an Ud Mutzal. So an ud is a piece of wood that burnt, but not entirely. We can understand that on the surface, Yehoshua emerged looking blackened, burnt. His clothes burnt, but Yehoshua did not die, and so clearly he didn't burn. Now, it's very important for me to point out before we go further, that we're going to talk about Yehoshua for the balance of tonight's class, but it's important for me to point out to you that these evil prophets, these pervert prophets, who did burn in the fire, who were actually killed, were not only killed because of their false prophecies, but also because of their philandering, also because of their adulterous ways. And the Ben Yehiyada says that the truth is, it was not for what they did to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. She wasn't such a tzaddikis. She wasn't so righteous. She wasn't so modest. And after all, they didn't do anything to her. They propositioned her, but they didn't actually do anything to her. However, it says, Nevala Asa Yisrael. They did disgusting things amongst the Jewish people. And so they were ravishing many women, many married women. It wasn't a question of what they did to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. It's just we know what kind of people they were. We know these were Harvey Weinstein-esque people because of what they tried with Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. This is blue Bill Clinton-esque kind of behavior. But we do not, we do not necessarily believe that they were punished because of what they did. It's only that the story with her indicates the kind of individuals, the kind of debaucherous lowlifes they were. If they did this, they tried to play this game with the princess, the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. We can only imagine what they did in their own comfort zone with Jewish people who believed that they were prophets. It's scary. One shudders to think of how many innocent women were raped and ravished and taken advantage of by these 
sickos, these perverts. So the Gemara is basically telling us that from the fact that Yehoshua in, is in the image of being snatched from a fire, that's how he's described. He's a Ud Mutzomayesh. So that means he was burnt, but burnt only on the surface. And because he was burnt only on the surface, so that indicates there was, he was in the fire. He emerged, not unscathed, but he survived. So Yehoshua survived. The Gemara now says, Nebuchadnezzar takes a look at this righteous man who emerges miraculously from an inferno, and he says, I don't understand what's going on up here. I don't understand this. Omar Lei, Nebuchadnezzar says to Yoshua the King Godo, Yodaino, Ditzadikat, I know you're a holy man. You must be very righteous. <laughs> Nobody else emerges from a raging fire. Elamai Taima, Ahanyabach, why is it that the fire seems to have had an effect on you? It did singe or burn your clothing. Yoshua himself seems singed or maybe even blackened by the fire. But when it came to Hananiah, Mishal, Vazariah, the fire had no effect on them whatsoever. They emerged, not singed, not burned, not blackened. Why? Why didn't it work for you? Amar Lehi, Yehoshua, Kohen Gadol, says to Nebuchadnezzar, Inu telosa hava, banochad. They were three, and I was one. Now this sounds awfully similar to the terrible logic of the two false prophets. So you must know, Rashi says telosa, v'nefishi zechusayu. Their merit was greater. So it's not exactly the same logic, because... He didn't say you need to be three to be saved, but he says when you have three righteous people all being saved, there was an impact. It didn't, I didn't just walk away. Omar Lehi, Nebuchadnezzar, no fool. He says, hmm, you're not the first Jew to emerge from an inferno. They aren't the first Jews to emerge from an inferno. In fact, the first Jew emerges from an inferno. He says, In your story, in your narrative, you have a business about Avram Avinu, thrown into a fiery furnace by Nimrod. There was nobody else with him. <laughs> there was nobody else righteous. All by himself, and he emerged. How does that work? So Yehoshua responds to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Listen, you really can't compare Avram Avinu's situation to mine. Over there, he was not surrounded by wicked people. One holy man, one precious Avram Avinu, beloved of God, is thrown into a fire. Here, I was thrown into a fire together with two wicked, philandering, false prophets. I mean, like, you know, it's not exactly the same situation. So therefore, because Avraham Avinu was not surrounded by wicked, evil, sinning, debaucherous people, the fire had no impact whatsoever. here, I was surrounded by wicked, the wicked people there. So the fires were not stilled. The fires were, so to speak, given the power to burn. But I was saved. So Avraham Avinu's 
being thrown into the fiery furnace neutralize the fire because holiness, pure holiness, when it meets these destructive fires, it's able to still them. But here, it wasn't all holiness that was being thrown into the inferno. And now, Yoshua Kengadil, in order to make it a little more graphic for Nebuchadnezzar, that he's not just telling him stories, he gives him an example, a literal, tangible example. He says, Hainu Damri Inchi. This is along the lines of what people say. Throw two logs, two dry logs, into a fire, and one is wet. The dry logs will eventually ignite the wet one. But if you just try to ignite a wet log, you'll actually get nowhere. So that's his answer to them. The Gemara comes back and doesn't exactly fully accept this. The Gemara comes back and says, one second. This is a story that Yoshua Kohen Gadol told Nebuchadnezzar. Now maybe in his great humility he believed that he didn't deserve to be fully saved. But we know Yoshua is a righteous man. And it's no fun to get your clothes burnt off you. And it's not a log. Hashem could have done a miracle. Hashem saved him. Why didn't Hashem allow him to emerge unscathed? Something's not adding up here. So the Gemara says, Umay taima ayinish. Why was he punished? He was seemingly not deserving to be punished. Why did this happen? Rashi says, My time ayinish. Yehoshua da'ahani nura lamani. Why was it that the fire was allowed to ignite his clothes? The high, the ahader, ihul, the the answers, the rationalizations, the stories he told Nebuchadnezzar, he pushed him away. Nebuchadnezzar came and he made this asking ridiculous questions. They gave him an answer. That's not really what's going on here. In other words, from a perspective of, 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 of Yiddishkeit, of Torah, of holiness, it doesn't make sense to say that a person should be burnt because they're surrounded by, holy, by unholy people. He didn't choose the company. He was drawn into this. These monsters tried to kill him. They wanted to bring him along, hoping that he'd be able to save them. They're ready to risk his life. They bet his life to save theirs. He's not a log of wood. Those are, those are chemical realities. Those are biological realities. Here we're talking about a miracle. There is no laws of nature here. So whether it's two or three, thrown in with righteous people and not thrown in with righteous people, if Hashem makes a miracle, Hashem makes a miracle. Hashem could save him. Hashem could save his clothes too. Something's not adding up here. You know, like uh, Nebuchadnezzar thinks this is a game. It's a game of uh, infernal calculus. Aha, three people, two people. This is not a game. This is, this is Hashem saving, saving Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe the false prophets believe this. But from Rashi's perspective, it's impossible to imagine that Yoshua Kohen God will actually believe that was the reason that his clothes should be burnt. And really, my dear friends, the point is this. We know that everything happens by Everything's by divine design. There's nothing that's out of God's control. So that God, God, this was a, a miracle too big for God. He couldn't have saved him to that degree. That makes no sense. And the notion that something happens, well, well, because in the world things are happening, or around me things are happening. 
that has nothing to do with what happens to me. What happens to me has to be seen as something directly from the hand of Hashem. And what's going on around me is irrelevant. If Yoshua Kohen Gadol was burnt to some degree, if his clothes were singed, there must be a reason for it. And that's the Gemara's approach. That's how Rashi learns the Gemara. Not everybody agrees with Rashi. In fact, the Marsha suggests that what Yehoshua Kohen Gadol said to Nebuchadnezzar might have been, might have merit, might have value. Okay, it's a, he, he didn't do, it wasn't his actions that did something wrong, but you could be impacted by evil that's near you. He said that, that, that reason actually could be so. The Marshal reads the question as, why did Hashem put it in their heads to reach for Yehoshua? Why was Yehoshua selected to be thrown into a fire? I mean, like, now, the Feyenayim says, you can't ask that question, why was Avram thrown into a fire? Why was They were thrown into a fire. They were asked to pay the ultimate price. They demonstrated their dedication, their devotion, their love, their loyalty, their medal, their, their commitment and their courage. They were thrown into a fire as an act of Kiddush Hashem. That was a pure act of sacrifice. They expressed and demonstrated the ultimate commitment. But Yeshua didn't demonstrate any commitment. There was no Kiddush Hashem here. He wasn't he called upon. He said, prostrate yourself before an idol. Give up everything you believe in. Show the world that you believe in God as long as it doesn't cost too much. As long as you don't have to pay the ultimate price. Yeshua was a, a Kohen Gadol, haplessly pulled out of Yerushalayim, thrown into a fire of furnaces because these philander false prophets decided to pick on him. Decided that he should get thrown in with them because maybe they'll be saved in his merit. The whole thing doesn't add up. Why, why did it happen? Why did Hashem arrange it this way? Now here too, of course, we boils down to Hashgachal Pratis. It boils down to divine design. There are no accidents. If for whatever reason Hashem put it in the heads of these two monsters that they should take Yehoshua down with them, there's got to be a reason for it. There's got to be a reason Hashem put Yehoshua through this difficult set of circumstances, but only singeing his clothes and not burning his person. So the Gemara says like this. Gemara says, Amar Rav Papa, Rav Papa responded, and he says, That's because his children were married to women who were not appropriate for the priesthood. And we know there's all kinds of limits about who may or may not marry a coin. And they married women that was not appropriate to them. And their children were disqualified from kuhuna. And he did not protest. Therefore, he is, to some degree, he is responsible. This is a very uncomfortable, unsettling concept. That even though our children may behave very badly, and even though it seems that we're not going to have influence on our children, we cannot simply ignore the reality and not speak up. We don't have the right to make believe everything is fine and dandy. We have to, to some degree, protest and say, this is wrong. Now, clearly, Yehoshua was not able to change the facts. It's clear. Because if he was able to change things, if he was able to influence his children properly, and he wouldn't have, then he would have, so to speak, part of that sin. It would be his sin as well. From the very fact that the Gemara does not deem him worthy of punishment, save for the notion, 
He didn't protest. So when something happens, when it's your family who behaves inappropriately, you don't speak up. You don't say something. <laughs> You're the high priest. How do you do that? So because of this, he was held accountable. Now how do we know that Yeshua's children married women that were inappropriate to them? Shanemar, because it says in the prophecy we started speaking about earlier of Zechariah, in that third chapter of Zechariah, the very next verse it says, Yeshua, in this image, this prophetic image that was shown to Zechariah, Yeshua, Yelavush Begadim Tzayim, Yeshua is wearing soiled clothing. Soiled clothing. So the fact that he's wearing soiled clothing, this indicates something wrong with Yehoshua. There was something not right. Why should he be wearing soiled clothing? Why should he appear like that? He's a Kohen Gadol. He was always dressed to the nines. Kohen Gadol has to look beautiful. He has to look presidential and he has to dress appropriately. And the fact that he's wearing these clothes, that becomes part of the prophecy. Elamalameid that comes to teach us from the fact that he was wearing those clothes, that they, his children, were married inappropriately to women that Cohen shouldn't be married to. And he didn't say anything. And because he didn't say anything, it shows up on his clothes. So it turns out that violating the Kohanic principles in, in the areas of matrimony show up as soiled clothes. How come? Why clothes? Why does clothes represent the Kohen's behavior that is inappropriate for the prestige, the spiritual prestige of his position? So there are various reasons that are given. According to the Marsha, the distinction between an ordinary Kohen and a Kohen Gadol is in the clothing. The ordinary coin, called the coin hedyet, wears four articles of sacred raiments, sacred clothes. And the coin gadol has a different suit. He wears eight sacred vestments. And because Yahushua was a coin gadol, and because the distinction between koanim and, ko and a kohen, the big kohuna, and all the other koanim is clothes, so that's why kohuna and clothes became synonymous. Masha says it, it is so, but I would like to suggest something a little bit different. When the Torah introduces us to the clothing of Kohanim for the very first time in Parshat Titzaveh, which is Exodus 28, the chapter opens with the words, Va'ata and now, God speaking to Moses, I want you to bring close to you Aaron, your brother, Bonov, and his sons, mitoch b'nei Yisrael, from amidst from amongst the Jewish people. In other words, they will be separated from amongst the rest. For what will they be separated? To minister to me, to serve me. And then the rest of the verse goes through the names. Aharon, Nodav, Aviyu, Elazar, Sava, Bnei Aharon. Verse 2 says, Make holy clothes, holy vestments for Aaron, your brother, that'll be for honor and glory. And then, in verse 3 it says, Now you'll speak to all of the people of wise heart, whom I have filled with a spirit of creativity. 
and you'll make the clothes of Aaron, l'chahanoli, to be a Kohen to me, to minister for me. So what the question is, what is the meaning of the word l'chahanoli? L'kadsho l'chahanoli. So Rashi says something very interesting. Why does the word, what does the word l'kadsho l'chahanoli mean? He says it means l'kadsho, to sanctify him, u'lahachniso b'kohuna, to bring him into kohuna, yedei begodim, through the clothes, so that he should be a priest, so to speak to me. So the Rebbe asked a simple question. If the word l'chahanoli has to be explained, and clearly it does, because Rashi doesn't just transcribe the word l'kadsho. He transcribes the words l'kadsho to sanctify l'chahanoli. So there'll be a coin for me. If the words l'chahanoli require elucidation, if it has to be explained as Yehei Kohen Li, there'll be a Kohen for me. Why doesn't Rashi explain something in verse 1? Why does he wait till verse 3? If you want to say Rashi's explaining Lekadcho, that the clothes sanctify him, okay, so then say Lekadcho. Lekadcho, Lahachniso Bakuna. But here he transcribes the words Lechahanoli and he says Lechahanoli means Yehei Kohen Li, that they should minister to me. So the Rebbe says, very, very simple. It's very simple. In the first instance, in the first Pasuk, L'chahanoli means that they should be Kohanim. That's an intrinsic thing. You as a Kohen, that becomes your definition. It's who you are. And because it's who you are, it's what you can do. In verse 3, we hear about special clothes and that these clothes will be made so the clothing make me a Kohen. You say, hey, 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 one second. First you said, Moshe, Moses is commanded to draw our own clothes. And that will serve to make him a Kohen for me. Now you're telling me that there's clothing and the clothing will make him which one is it? Which one makes him a Kohen? Do the clothes make the man? Or does Moses make the man? Is it Moses' hakrev? Is it Moshe Rabbeinu bringing clothes that makes them a coin? Or is it the clothes that make them a coin? So Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu, by virtue of God's command, make them koyanim. However, once they're wearing the clothes, they can actually serve God. In other words, in order to actualize the potential, which could be a latent potential, that a Kohen has, a Kohen has to be wearing the clothes. And in fact, a Kohen is not allowed to serve in the Beit HaMikdash without the clothes. As it says, Bigzman Shebigdehem Alehem, the Gemara says, when their clothing, when their vestments, when their sacred clothes are upon them, Kuhunatam Alehem, their Kuhuna is upon them. It's still their Kuhuna. But it's not upon them. You can't act on it. In order for it to be animated, in order to be activated, in order for you to be able to do the things you want to do in the Beit HaMikdash, you have to have the clothes. Yehoshua, Kohen Gadol's children did not lose their kahuna. They were not lost per se. They deactivated. They, they dropped the ability for them to act on their kahuna. That was the issue. What was Yehoshua held accountable for? He was held accountable for the children's unrealized potential. They squandered their potential. You didn't say anything. You didn't protest. 
You didn't say this is wrong. You can't squander the potential that Hashem has given you. Hashem made you a Kohen. You need to marry appropriately. Instead, instead you put yourself in a situation where your potential will go unrealized. We'll never be able to do anything about the gift that Hashem has given you. And that, my dear friends, I think is the real reason. In addition to what the Marsha says about the clothes making the difference, which makes activates the coin gadol from the coin, ultimately it's Yeshua's soiled clothing, disabled clothing, the clothing that aren't functioning. It's the loss of that potential. It's not an intrinsic loss. The children weren't far gone, but practically their potential wasn't actualized. And this is why Yeshua's clothing was later singed, because we see from the corollary of the two stories, or putting them together, the imagery and the narrative of the prophecy of Zechariah, and then the story, as it's told in the book of Yirmiyoh, we can understand that the problem of Yehoshua was the children's behavior, like clothes, superficial behavior, the things they did which disabled their potential for being realized, and Yehoshua ultimately is held somewhat accountable for it. Obviously, Yehoshua did not have the ability to change his children. He was still the Kohen God. And the Satan tries to harm him, to impede his way, that he shouldn't be able to realize the possibility of restoring the Kahuna Gedola and the Beit HaMikdash. And we say, Hashem. Hashem should strike down the Satan, engage the Satan, entangle him, and strike him down. Because Yehoshua is a righteous person. But on the, on, on the other flip side, although he's a righteous person, the very fact that there was this lack of realized Kohanic potential, this loss of possibility that Yehoshua suffered from this. And it shows up in his soiled clothing, it shows up on the surface, in the outer reaches of Yehoshua's everyday reality. And that, my dear friends, is the story of the philander of false prophets who were burnt, and the Kohen Gadol who was only singed. And with this, we will conclude the story of the Inferno, and we'll be going forward talking about six seeds of saviors and how our, the great Sidkonis, the great righteous woman Ruth, ultimately becomes the mother of Alberta's redeemers. To be continued. <laughs>